It's so good to be here with you when uh, your site pastor is on the other side of the world. I feel a bit like a supply teacher, um, so I thought we'll just uh, clarify some ground rules to begin with. Number one, no throwing pens when my back is turned, okay? It's not okay. Number two, no pretending to be someone else when your name's read out on the register. Uh, And number three, and this is most important, nobody is to set off the fire alarm, okay? Those are three ground rules for this morning. No mucking around, okay? And this morning, we are uh, carrying on in our series, Weak But Strong. Uh, We're going through the book of 2 Corinthians, verse by verse and passage by passage, because we're trying to suck the very goodness out of every single word. We believe that the Bible is Holy Spirit-inspired, not just in its writing uh, 2,000 years ago, but also in its reading today. We believe that every time we crack open the pages of the Bible, that our hearts can be changed and transformed and affected by the words that are on the pages of that book. And so we are so so excited to be unpacking this book together. And what we've been learning so far in this series, we called it Weak But Strong, because what we've been learning is we don't have to be perfect. In fact, there's no expectation of us being perfect. Actually, God's glory is magnified uh, and, and explodes out even more in our weakest and most rubbish moments, because when we are weak, God gets the glory for covering our weakness. He gets the glory for making up the difference. He gets the glory uh, for doing what we are unable to do on our own. Why don't you just turn to the person beside you and say, I'm so glad you don't have to be perfect. (laughs) Some of you meant that a little bit too much. You turned around and you were like, I am really glad you don't have to be perfect. (laughs) Well, this morning we are carrying on. Uh, we're going into chapter 11 of the, of, the past, of the book this morning. And this verse is all about truth. It's all about the truth, the importance of the truth of the gospel, the importance of the true story of Jesus and what exactly it was he did for us. Paul talks about truth this morning. Uh, and I don't know, does anybody remember back in 2009, uh, our members of parliament had a scandal with their expenses? Does anyone remember that story? Um, I was looking over that again this week because I was just, I was sort of thinking on truth and I was thinking about all the different areas that truth affects in our lives. Um, and I just, I was rereading the story and basically what happened, for those of you who don't know, um, the Daily Telegraph, a few of their journalists um, wanted to look into MPs' expenses. They were like a, looking for a story, I think, and they maybe had a wee suspicion that something was up. And so they put in this Freedom of Information Act, uh, and it got turned down immediately. They were like, no, 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 we would never release the expenses of members of parliament. And uh, the Telegraph journalists, they fought it, and they fought it, and they fought it, and they kept going back, and they were threatened with legal action and all kinds of different things, but they pursued it, and they pursued the story, and they kept going at it. And eventually... Uh, Uh, the Supreme Court or whoever it went to had to release the information about MPs' expenses and it was scandalous. I'll I'll read you out a few of my favorite things that MPs had claimed on expenses. Number one, a glittery, sparkly toilet seat. That was down on one of the MPs' expenses. Number two, an MP had had a moat installed around his house uh, and on an island in the middle had built a house for the ducks that lived on his moat. Our taxpayers' money paid for that. That was another thing that was on there. And those things are slightly funny, but there was more serious ones as well. It turned out the system had been abused over and over again. A bunch of MPs had moved every single year so that they could claim money for different houses that they were living in. Hundreds of thousands of pounds were spent that should never have been spent. And I love that the journalists went after that story until it broke because they recognized that this was something that people needed to hear and needed to see. It was a system that was corrupt and broken and people needed to challenge it. And so they didn't stop until the truth came out. 
In the same way, in our passage today, Paul is saying, the truth is so important. You cannot stop until you fully understand the truth of the gospel. You cannot stop until your life is fully immersed in the truth of what Jesus did for you because it impacts everything. An understanding of the truth of Jesus, an understanding of who he is and what he's done for us impacts every single area of our lives as followers of him. And so we need to pursue it. So we pick up today in chapter 11, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. And it says this. It should come up on the screen too. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind somehow may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a, a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you and in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, Nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. And I think the first thing that jumps out in this passage really clearly is that stark warning from Paul. Beware of these false apostles. Beware of these people who would come in and try and rob the truth of the good news away from you. Be careful about who you listen to. Be careful about what words you let find a place in your heart. Be careful about who gets credence in your life. Be careful. It's a warning word. He, he doesn't hold back either. He uses the picture of Eve in the garden being tricked by the serpent. And for the guys who he's speaking to, that would have been a passage they would, would have known only too well. It's one of the foundational passages that they would have grown up reading in the Torah. They would have uh, understood how uh, serious a, a, a metaphor that was of bringing Eve and the serpent into it. It meant be careful because if you let these false apostles in, you could lose everything. You could lose it all. Much in the same way as the serpent tricked Eve into believing something that robbed her of the fullness of life that God had for her, he's saying to the, the, the church in Corinth, do not let people rob you of the fullness of life that Christ has promised you. Anything short of the truth of the gospel is like hiding under a banqueting table and eating the scraps that fall when you've been given an invitation to the banquet. Don't let yourselves be robbed. When Sarah and I first got married, there was a whole bunch of things uh, that we realized we'd have to change in our life. Uh, we had our own patterns, our own way of doing things. We did lots of things like, um, I had my own gym, she had her own gym. I had uh, the places that I liked to go and eat, she had places that she liked to go and eat. And somehow we had to bring these two things together. And what you don't understand is that when, when you come together as a married couple, you both have a trusted mechanic 
You bring a mechanic into your marriage who's looked after your car well thus far, and at some point you have to decide whose mechanic is more trustworthy, mine or yours. And so what we did, and it probably was not a wise decision, we said, well, let's just get a new mechanic, a new mechanic for a new marriage. Let's do that. Uh, and so we both worked out in the west of the city uh, near Inveruri, and we thought we'll go and visit the mechanic who's closest to where we both work, uh, in between where we both work. And so we went to this mechanic because our brakes were screeching on our car, and I was like, I'm pretty sure our brake pads need change. So I took it in, I explained to the man. He was, he was a, a slightly older man, uh, and, and he was walking slightly slower, and I thought, okay, I wonder if there's anyone else around. I didn't know if he had the capability to lift the car on his own. I was slightly worried about that. So I thought, okay, but there seemed to be other people around. So I was like, okay, we'll give it in. We'll go for it. And so I came back at the end of the day and he was like, I fixed your brakes. Uh, Your brake pads were worn down. And I was like, thank you so much. The price was reasonable. I was really happy with it. Seemed like he'd done a really good job. And I drove away uh, with Sarah in the car. I was like, I think we might have just found a new mechanic. He's so lovely. He just, nothing can go wrong with this. And about a minute into the journey, I started hearing this noise that was like, and I was like, oh, that's a strange noise. Um, But in my head, I'd kind of fallen in love with this wee mechanic a little bit. And so I was like, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's not a problem. It'll just be the new brakes bedding in. So uh, I kept going and the noise started to get louder. It was going like, and I was like, Probably just bedding in, we'll keep going, I'm sure it'll sort itself out, we won't worry about it. I went round the roundabout and the car went, like that, the whole car was shaking. I was like, oh my goodness, what is it? So I pulled in at the other side of the roundabout and I got out and the front wheel was hanging off the the, the actual, like off of the the bit that it clicks onto, it was diagonally hanging off the side of it. And it turned out uh, that my new wee old mechanic had put the wheel nuts back on, uh, hand tightened them and had not done the torque wrench bit to like tighten them all up so as we'd driven it just shook itself and straight off basically the wheels literally came off my car (laughs) I should have stopped when I heard the noise I should have been like something's not right here but I kept going I gave it the benefit of the doubt I wanted it to be okay and I settled for it and it got much much worse In the same way, Paul is urging the church in Corinth, don't settle for something that is less than the fullness of the truth of the gospel when the full one is available for you. Don't settle for the scraps when you can dine with the king. You see, these false apostles have been turning up in Corinth and they've been trying to draw people away from Jesus. They've been trying to take him away from being the center of the gospel they maybe watered down his importance and they said yeah you know Jesus was a good guy like he did some cool stuff but he's not the be all and end all some of them actually would have been saying actually Jesus himself was a false prophet you need to forget about him and get back to the basics don't believe all these people about what Jesus is saying and there was people coming in and they were telling these guys different stories and actually it sounded acceptable it sounded acceptable for the church in Corinth and they thought oh that sounds, yeah, that, I mean, that could be real. Like, that could be good. We'll listen to this person and then we'll listen to this person. Before they knew it, they were away from the true gospel and they were starting to believe all kinds of things about Jesus and who he was that weren't true. How do we make sure then that we don't fall short of the fullness of the truth of the gospel? How does it apply for us today? What does our removal of the truth of the gospel look like in our context, where we are, in our jobs, in our families, in our lives, where we live? I think there's three things that would keep us from the fullness of the gospel, and I'm calling them the three Ds, distraction, deception, and destruction. 
distraction. That's anything that gets our attention more than God gets our attention. If we're to live in the fullness of the truth of the gospel, then Jesus has to be right at the center of everything we do. He has to get our prime time. He has to get our first attention. He has to get the best of our hours in the day and not the scraps at the end of it. Anything that gets more time than Jesus in our life is a distraction. Pulling us away from the truth of the gospel. For some of us, that might be television. For some of us, that might be exercise. For some of us, that might be uh, creating or crafting. For some of us, it might be anything. But I think the call here from Paul is to put Jesus right at the center of everything that we do. Secondly, deceptions. Any lies that we believe about God or about ourselves that would hold us back from the fullness of the truth of the gospel. You know, we hear stuff on a, on a daily basis, words like, you know, look out for yourself is number one. Or uh, it doesn't matter if you do that, everyone's doing it. Or if you just had this thing, your life would be complete. And we also hear lies about God. Lies like he's a hateful God. He's a non-present God. He's a God who's far removed and doesn't care. And anytime we soak in those deceptions that aren't the truth, it again takes us away from the fullness of the truth that's on the pages of the Bible, the fullness of the truth of the knowing and loving Jesus with all that we have. And finally, destructions, things that come along that just uh, smash into our lives like a freight train that blow everything up and can cause us to wander away from God. We've probably all been in situations where things have happened in our lives and we've just thought, God, why has this happened and how can you do this? Sometimes our response is to wander away in those moments and just say, you know, if, if that's you, God, then I don't want any part of that. Paul's encouragement to us is to cling on and push in even in those hardest, most difficult moments. Paul highlights the pitfalls because he doesn't want us to miss out on the truth, the freedom, the power, and the hope that's to be found in the true story of a resurrected king. He doesn't want us to miss out on the life to the full that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10. A life full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full and overflowing and pouring into the world around about us. These other things may look attractive, but they're short-termed and they don't carry with them the eternal hope that only the true message of Jesus can bring. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Saints not only desire to love and speak the truth with their lips, but they seek to be true within. They will not lie even in the, close, the closet of their hearts, for God is there to listen. They scorn the double meanings, evasions, equivocations, white lies, flatteries, and deceptions. Don't settle for the scraps when a banquet with the king is available. And so Paul starts by warning them of the deception, but then he gives them a, a call to pursue the truth, to tenaciously track down what is the true gospel, what is the hope of Jesus that can be found and can be lived in a way that overflows in our hearts. A true gospel, one saviour, a clear truth that we're to pursue above everything else. He's calling the church in Corinth, don't be distracted, guys, but tenaciously pursue Jesus with all that you have. He builds this picture of them focusing uh, fully on Jesus. And even though there's lots of stuff going on around their peripheral vision, to continue to focus on Jesus no matter what. 
Because knowing the truth doesn't happen by accident. It's a series of intentional good choices that keep us on a devoted pursuit of our Savior and the power in the true gospel. It is a tenacity about knowing the truth. Um, I don't know, has anyone here ever lost something important, like a passport or a really important document? Or are you guys all really organized people? Yeah, a few, almost half the room. That's probably about right, personality-wise. Um, when we first got married, uh, we lived in a flat at the bottom end of Holborn Street, uh, and two of our friends had exchanged a car. Um, one of them was getting rid of the car, the other one was buying the car. They bought the car, and we were kind of in the middle of it because we knew both of them. Um, and and the, the reason we got in the middle is because the people who had sold the car had taxed the car but hadn't passed on the tax disc. So they gave the tax disc to us to give to our other friend who was, um, who'd bought the car. And so I, uh, Sarah had picked it up. She brought it home from her friends. Uh, she put it on her kitchen counter. And then the next day, I was supposed to take it to her friends. And I got up the next morning. I was packing my bag for work. And I was like, love, where have, you, where have you put the tax disc? And she was like, it's just sitting on the kitchen counter. And I was like, there's, there's not a tax disc on the kitchen counter. And she was like, I definitely left it on the kitchen counter. Anyway, we started looking. Couldn't find it anywhere. So we couldn't find it that day. We both went away to work, came back that night. We were like, we know what we have to do. We have to search the whole house from top to bottom. And so we start pulling out drawers and cupboards and we're searching you know in places like in the washing machine uh, and behind the iron and places where it never is but you have to check it so you can tick it off the list to know it's not there we searched the whole house no sign of it I'm like we're going to be robbed of 120 quid here this is terrible I'm from Glasgow this shouldn't happen I don't want to lose 120 quid so then I was like the only place it can be I was like it's the bin somebody's put it in the bin so we live in a flat that has a communal bin and I'm like I'm I'm going to do it. 120 pounds means enough for me that I'm going to do it. So I got on my marigolds. I got in the communal bin. I start piling through the rubbish to find the bag that is ours. I find the bag that is ours. I think we'd had soup for dinner the night before. So I'm like wading through soup. Eventually, at the very bottom of the bin bag, goodness knows how it got there, was the tax disc. And I was like, yes! I was like, I don't have to pay 100 pounds. I didn't even care that I was up to my elbows in soup and coleslaw and all kinds of other things. You see, the truth of the gospel is an incredible treasure that we have to search for tenaciously. And the cost of not finding it is much more than 100 pounds. It's our eternal destinies. We must pursue the truth of the gospel, the truth of what it means to live as heirs of the kingdom, the truth of what it means to be sons and daughters of a heavenly father who loves us unbelievably and who extends grace unendingly and who has every good intention for our lives. We must pursue that truth with all we have. So how, how do we do that? Like that's a, that's a very lovely concept. Like let's pursue the truth. We could all leave church today thinking that's brilliant. Yes, we'll pursue truth together. And we'd all get outside and be like, uh, do, you, do you know how to pursue the truth? Uh, could you, how do we do that? Do we do it together? Is it a team thing or is it an individual exercise? Are you responsible for it? Should we do a group project? Should somebody draw up a graph? Here's some three really practical ways that you can pursue the truth in your life. Number one is uh, being in the scriptures, being in the word of God. Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. And the reason that he did that was because he knew that he was something that had to be taken in daily. It wasn't uh, a fancy meal to be consumed every now and again. It was a staple part of the diet. 
And so if we're not, if, if the only place where we ever set eyes on our Bible is here on a Sunday morning, we cannot expect to know the fullness of the truth of what God has for us, the fullness of what he believes about us, the fullness of how much he loves us, the fullness of how much grace he gives us. We cannot expect to know that if this is the only place where we have a meal and then forget about it for the rest of the week. We have to be in our scriptures in a way that every day we are uh, communing with Jesus in a way that changes our hearts, that brings us encouragement and challenge, that transforms our minds and our thinking, that allows us to be an impactful presence on this world. We have to be in the word. We also have to be in his presence as well as seeking God's truth in scriptures. We also have to learn what it is to set aside quality time for being with the Lord. Um, just so that you know that I don't have all this together, I've started doing um, some coaching within the vineyard. They offered us as pastors the chance to do uh, a bit of like uh, coaching with some people who've got coaching qualifications. Uh, and on my first coaching session, uh, she was like, tell me all the stuff that you do and tell me what you're about and tell me what you're passionate about. So I was telling her all this stuff. I was like, I love it when we pray for these guys and I love it when we do this and we're seeing some of this happen and I'm asking the Lord for this thing and I've got big dreams to see this thing over here happen. And then at the end of the conversation, she just went, hey, do you ever just spend time with the Lord without an agenda? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I'm terrible at doing that. And so I've been on a journey for these last few months, setting aside 10 minutes a day where I just sit down with God and do nothing but listen for him. And I can honestly tell you, it is revolutionizing the way that I walk my faith out. Because it turns out, uh, much as we come to things with God, God is equally desperate to come to us with the things that he wants to speak over our lives. He loves to encourage us. He loves to build us up. He loves to give us a direction. But if we're not taking the time to listen, we'll never hear those words. We have to spend time in his presence. And finally, pursuing the truth of Jesus is a tough thing to do. And so we have to do it in community. These people beside you just now, just look around you. Look at the people next to you. Soak them in. Do it. Look at them just now. It's not a, not a metaphorical thing. Literally take it in. These people who are sitting beside you are the people who will walk with you through your toughest moments in the faith. These people who are sitting beside you are the people you'll walk through when they're having their toughest moments with their faith. The people who are sitting around you just now are the people you're going to celebrate with when you discover a new aspect of God's love for you that transforms you, that changes your life. They're, this is the church. This community was designed to be the place uh, that sustains us in the marathon run towards the finish line with Jesus. In Revelation, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. That's because it's supposed to be this beautiful, pleasing, lovely place that the Father looks on and says, wow, aren't they brilliant? You see, it's so easy to start missing community. You know, it's just little decisions like, I might have a lie in this Sunday. Or there's a really great sale on at John Lewis that starts on Sunday morning, and I want to be there early. And before you know it, it's the third week in a row you've not been in church, and you're thinking, I feel really disconnected from God. I don't really understand that. You know, I don't know what's going on there. Community is so important in our faith walk. 
Maybe that's a current story for some of us today. And, and if that is, I would love to encourage you to press in, to give the Father a chance to show you what he can do in community when you make a commitment to be here every week, be here for people, uh, be here for yourself when people gather around you as well, be here for the mission of what the church is doing. Watch how your faith comes alive when you give a commitment to the Father that this is the place you call home. I can say that to you guys because it's not me who benefits from that. (laughs) It's you guys who benefit from that. Watch what he does when you commit to being in church every Sunday. And then finally, the wonderful thing about understanding more of the truth of the gospel as we pursue it tenaciously is that it then becomes this incredible tester in our life. It becomes the filter that we see everything through. It becomes um, like the, the yardstick that we measure everything up against as we know more of the truth, as we soak it in, as we understand what it is to be loved, sons and daughters of the King, what it is to know unending, unchanging grace, what it is to walk in mercy, what it is uh, to walk in the miraculous power of God's Holy Spirit, alive and at work within us. Suddenly, the things that would look to lie and deceive and destroy don't get as easy an entrance way in because we know the truth well enough to spot it a mile away. In the past, bank tellers were trained on how to spot fake uh, or counterfeit notes uh, in a very specific way. You would think that what they would do to to train people on how to find counterfeit notes would be to to give them loads of counterfeit notes and be like, study these counterfeit notes, look at them, work out what's fake with them, uh, decide what to do. You'd think they would just get all the counterfeit notes and train them. They don't do that. Lots of banks, uh, when people start working for the bank, they've only ever seen one counterfeit note. And what they do is, when they start working there, they give them this big bundle of thousands of pounds cash to count, and they put one counterfeit note right near the end of it, and they get these guys to count and count and count and count and count the money, so they're feeling it in their hands. Every note that goes through, they feel the quality, they feel the feel of it, they feel what it should be like. So when they do eventually come to a counterfeit note, it stands out like a sore thumb because it is different from the quality that they've been touching the whole rest of the time. They spot the difference immediately. They're so used to the real thing that a counterfeit is so recognizable as a poor imitation of the the, the real thing they've been holding in their hands. In the same way for us, Paul is encouraging us to be so used to the truth, so aware of the truth, so full of the truth, that when anything else comes and tries to take any portion of our minds or our hearts away from Jesus, that we spot it straight away as a lie and a deception and a counterfeit to the gospel. As we begin to soak in the truth of the gospel more and more in our day-to-day living, as we learn to hear God's voice authentically in our lives, as we begin to feel what it's like to be prompted and nudged and encouraged and challenged by the Holy Spirit, anything that is not that becomes very obvious very quickly. The challenge for us then is to pursue the truth of the gospel with all we have. Because in the world we live in, there's so much that would look to compete for the voice of God in our lives. Depending on what television programs we watch, we're daily told things like, don't commit to anything. Just look out for yourself. Casual relationships are the way forward. Sleep with whoever you want. That's where you'll find the real joy in life. Depending on where we watch our news, we're told, trust nobody. Don't believe anything that anyone says. That people from other countries are not to be trusted. 
we face a daily barrage of messages and rhetoric telling us stuff that isn't true, that isn't God's A plan for us, that isn't his voice speaking. The truth is, Jesus is our saviour. He died as a sacrifice. He was resurrected as a saviour. He rose to be with the Father again in heaven. He left the presence of his Holy Spirit here for us. There's unending grace. There's mercy. There's a Father's love that covers more than we will ever be able to stretch or try. That's the truth of the gospel. And when we really know that, when these lies start coming in our direction, they're so obviously lies. They're so obviously not the goodness of God. When we've had our our hands on the scriptures and we know his truth, when we've been in his presence and we've felt his voice and we've heard him, anything that's not that becomes really obvious. We begin to measure all of our big decisions in life with his view on it and not the world's view on it. Things like, where should I send my children to school? Or what job should I take? Or should I marry this person? Or should I buy that car? The truth permeates everything, every area of our lives. When we know the truth and we've got a full grasp on the truth of the gospel, it takes the power out of the hands of the enemy and it puts it straight back into the hands of the king. The truth on the pages of the Bible is a treasure to be pursued tenaciously and held resolutely. We can't settle for anything less than the truth. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together.